Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 6 through 7 and 10 through 15, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 31, and Psalm 90, verse 12 through 17. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be seated. I want to I want to say two two brief things before I begin preaching. One is that the choir is just breaking my heart open today. Thank you so much and shining a light into it. Thank you so much for your work today. And the second thing is, during this sermon, I'm going to ask you all to give money to the church next year. I just don't want you to be shocked when it happens, okay? It's not the main point of the sermon, but I'm squeezing it in, and it's going to be there. And I don't want you to be like, what is this? How did this come about? Oh, no, he warned me. He's going to tell me to pledge next year. Uh, this week, you will be getting letters, uh, a letter from me like you do every year, and, uh, and it will ask you to make a commitment to the church. And I'm going to mention that in this sermon. So just wanted to prepare you for that emotionally so you don't feel side, sideswept by it, okay? Um, but I will tell you that today's reading, I feel so deeply connected to this shocked and grieved man uh, who has many possessions and is really discouraged and discomforted by the words that Jesus puts before him. I feel very connected to this young man. I feel connected to him, not because he's young um, anymore, but because of the possessions and because of I, I, I see him as this person who is thinking to himself, if I can just follow all of the rules and ask the right advice and then follow that advice from the good people, I will become the kind of person who gets to have eternal life. What are the words he says to Jesus when he shows up? Aside from that funny little interaction about him calling Jesus good and Jesus is like, just save your kindness for God, okay? With the good language. But he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I make eternal life mine? How, does it, how can I make it so that eternal life belongs to me? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he lists them all off, ticks them all off. And the man goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all those. And I know part of us is, I know there's a bit of us that's incredulous. Does he though? Does he? But for a moment, let's assume he does. Let's assume that he gives, them, gives, gives life everything he's got and is trying really hard to be the kind of person that gets to inherit eternal life. The kind of person who lives the kind of life that he gets to stop at the end and say, see didn't I get it? Don't I get to have eternal life? And to him, Jesus says, okay, well, you're doing all the right things. You're following all the commandments. Great. Just give up everything that you have and follow me. Give, your, give everything you have to the poor and follow me. He says the one thing that this guy is not prepared for, and that is why I love this guy so much, and that's why Jesus loves him. Jesus says, it's, or the text says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and then gave him the news that he couldn't handle. That's how Jesus treats the ones that he loves, I guess. I think many of you know this. I, I may have written about it before. 
uh, just, just about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, my wife and I made the decision to sell the home that we were living in. And we made that decision to sell it so that we could buy a house that was smaller. Um, this is not what people who have three children normally decide to do. They normally go the other direction. Um, and we weren't positively swimming around in this house and going, what are we going to do with all the space? But in our, we made a decision a couple years ago. We looked at our budget and we looked at the way that we were living our lives. And we realized that the way that we wanted to live, the things that we said were important to us, wasn't actually how we were living. We weren't giving the, the amount of money we wanted to to our church. We weren't giving money to the poor, to the organizations that we wanted to, certainly not on a level that meant anything to us. We weren't putting savings the way we wanted. We were living in the house we liked and spending all our money to make that happen. And it wasn't connected to the reality of what we said was truly important to us. And so we made a difficult decision. We made the decision to sell our house, to move to a smaller house, and to realign our values to our budget so our budget reflected our values, more so anyway. And we did it. We did it during the pandemic. It was super fun. How can we make the, this once-in-a-lifetime incredibly stressful event more exciting? Let's sell a house and move. And we did, and we got it done. And uh, here's the thing. We didn't immediately become better people. Now, granted, I didn't uh, sell everything and follow Jesus. We sold a few things and downgraded for Jesus, okay? Like slightly downward mobility for Jesus. So I'm not going to pretend that I've given it all up and I'm here to tell you some moral about someone who's really gone through it, because that's not the truth. The truth is that what I've figured out in this moment when we tried to realign our, our life so that it matched the things that we say and said that we cared about is we did that and it didn't just all of a sudden make everything easier and better. It didn't all of a sudden make us holier. It didn't all of a sudden just make our lives smoother and easier. And the, the disciples are going through this in this story here because the disciples have given things up and they are following Jesus and they go, whoa, when are we going to start to get the benefits of this whole following you thing, Jesus? And they're not coming from a place of privilege. They've divested themselves of what little privilege they might have had, and they're following Jesus. And they're like, we just want to know, is following you going to make our lives better? Are we going to get anything out of this? And he says, yeah, you're going to get all sorts of things, like fields and properties, and you'll be persecuted. But anyways, right? So he, he even throws this line in to say, look, Yes, there will be beauty in following me. But there's also going to be pain. And if your goal is just to figure out how to be the right kind of person and follow the rules just so that you can be the right kind of person, Jesus is going to do something different in your life. He's going to push you and require something else from you. This gospel is truly about people who believe that they can earn a place in God's kingdom. And Jesus saying, there's no earning this. That's not how this works. It's so fascinating to me because when the rich man walks off, Jesus looks at him and he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get to heaven. 
And we all go, oh, cool, rich people are going to hell. Got it. Okay. Except the response of the disciples is not like, yeah, go get them, Jesus. Their response is, wait a minute. If rich people don't get into heaven, who does? That's their actual response in the text, which means they are thinking these rich people, because of their wealth, they must be morally superior, which is, by the way, how we treat rich people in our country. And they think if these people, their wealth is proof that they've lived right, Because if you do good, God will bless you. And if you do bad, God will curse you. That's what we think. So these people, they've God has blessed them, so they must be good. And here's this man who just said he's done everything right and he's got the wealth to prove it. And Jesus says just to give it all up. And they say, well, wait a minute. Who gets to go to heaven then? And Jesus' response is, nobody. That's what he says. He says, for mortals, it is impossible. But for God... It is completely and utterly possible. Jesus isn't just saying rich people bad, poor people good. Jesus is saying if you think you are going to earn, achieve, or accumulate your way into the grace of God, you don't understand how grace works. Jesus spends his life and his ministry seeking to turn all of our hearts outward towards those around us. Jesus heals the people that are being ignored, dines and cares for and shares life with those who are on the margins, drawing people in. I'm always always amazed by when Jesus performs miracles. So many times the miracles he performs enables the people who are the recipients of that miraculous act, enables them to re-engage with their community, with the people around them that they've been separated from. Jesus is about bringing people into deeper community. And this rich man is thinking about how if I can just follow all the rules and live my life the way I'm supposed to, I will get to go to heaven. As if heaven is about something he gets to go to rather than about a reality we are all meant to share. A life shared together. A life of love and sacrifice and mutual forbearance. Bear one another's burdens, St. Paul says. A life of intimacy in closeness with one another. And absolutely, we know, we who have possessions, know that the possessions we love can oftentimes keep us from staying deeply and truly connected with one another. We can shield ourselves from our own vulnerability and our own need for connection by all the things that we have. Every single person here knows what that's like. We know what it's like to use the things we have for joy and to bring people closer. Yes, we know those things, but we also know that we can use our wealth and our resources to make us feel like we're totally okay and we don't need help from God or from one another. I think a lot about how I want to feel stable. And that for me, possessions, accumulating, for me, isn't about being better than others or trying to prove that I've got something that others don't or power or anything. I don't think it is. For me, I think about if I have enough, I'll feel safe and secure. I'll feel okay. 
I have yet to make enough money with even what I make, I have yet to feel like, okay, now I'll never have to worry. This is the problem with this kind of thinking. Is that if we think that we can just earn or achieve or acquire or accumulate enough that we don't have to be dependent on God, we don't have to worry, and we don't belong to one another fully, and we miss the point of what God is doing in this world. Every time Jesus says, follow me, he is not saying, hey, let's you and me go for a one-on-one walk so that I can teach you how you can go to heaven. Every time Jesus says, follow me, he is inviting people into a community that has already begun and is growing and is drawing from the Holy Spirit to be filled with the love of God and participate with Jesus in the healing of the world. Follow me is not an individual command, but an invitation into a life shared not only with God, but with one another. Follow me is a thing that Jesus says so that we will recognize that if we go with Jesus, we will be drawn outside of ourselves, outside of our own fears, outside of our own false security, and into real life love and relationship with the God who made us. Every year around this time, a sermon is preached or a word is spoken and a letter is sent and we ask you to commit financially to the Church of the Redeemer. We can't pretend that I'm following the line where it says, give everything to the poor and follow me. We're not a poor church, we know that. We are, however, a community. We are a community of people who care for one another and seek to bear one another's burdens, seek to make a difference not only in each other's lives, but in the life of our neighborhood, in the life of the world around us. And it is our belief that every single person here matters to that community. The way that you commit to this place with your life, with your heart, with your pocketbook, with your talents, with your skills, with your passion, with your love, in all of these ways, we believe that is you responding to Jesus' call, follow me. We believe that when we follow Jesus, we are drawn into communities of unconditional love. And we are seeking to continue to build this place up as that kind of place. We are seeking to do that at a time that is unprecedented for us. And you've heard that so many times, unprecedented times, unprecedented times. You're probably thinking, I could really go for some precedented times. (laughs) Me too, me too. I do not know what the next year will look like. But I know that I will be here with you in it. And I know that we will be together in it. I know that we will continue to find ways to connect with one another, with scriptures, with tacos, talk about sports, talk about life, talk about family, 
to seek new ways to reach out to our community with our mission endeavors and find more ways to help participate with God in transforming our community. So that as Amos says, there is justice at the gates. There are so many ways that we are meant to follow Jesus. We do that in this community. And this community needs your participation. It will not make you a better person. It will not guarantee you a spot in the kingdom. That is not what we're talking about. God is already at work in your heart and in your life. God already has secured a place for you in the kingdom. You belong fully and totally to God. You also belong to one another. It is my prayer that when we hear Jesus say, follow me, we will see it not as an individual call to just one of us to follow Jesus in solitude in our individual spiritual lives, but that we will see it as an invitation to community, to connection, and to unconditional loving and belonging. In Jesus' name.